So all work that is honest and good work, raising children or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you are reflecting God's image. So there is a sanctity to it. There is something divine about work and being productive and productivity. So as believers, as, as a Christian, I want you to ask yourselves what talents and skills has God given you? Because all of you have, right? All of you have talents and skills that God has given you. How can I employ them to serve my fellow man and provide for my family? Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for August 19th, 2018. Today, Brother Omar brings us part two of his message called Statement of Faith, Doctrine of Man. Brother Omar teaches us that work is not a curse, but a gift that God gives mankind. Brother Omar says that because God is a working God and we as humans are made in his image, work is a reflection of who God is. He also says that no job is a secular job, but all God-given talents and gifts are to be used for God's glory. So grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's word here on Followers of the Way. So as you can see, we are in our second sermon on the doctrine of man. We've been going through a statement of faith, as you know, for about two years now. And so we're in that part where we're talking about man as a being, God's creation, etc. So what we talked about last time, and we talked about that man was made in God's image. God is created in the image of God. So we emphasize the fact that as a being created in God's image, man has an intrinsic dignity. In other words, there's a value to human life. And therefore, the idea that man is created in God's image and is he's therefore has dignity in and of itself is an exclusively Christian teaching, okay? You find this taught in the Bible primarily. Now, you will see people today that say that all men are created equal, that all men are the same, but they do so because they're borrowing from our teaching, from Christian doctrine, which is in scripture, is taught that man is created in God's image. So, because of that, we drew the conclusion that all men have value, and therefore, all men should be respected as such, irregardless of race and where they're from, religion or whatever, the man has unique value because he's created in God's image. And so, this is called intrinsic dignity, and we gave a quote from William Burke Pope that says, while all creatures up to man reflect the perfections of their creator, it is man's distinction made emphatic in the act of his creation that he alone should bear God's image. This therefore is the ground of his dignity, and while that dignity belongs to his nature as a whole, it necessarily is found in that part of his nature which is not material and therefore imperishable. What he means is simply that because we're creating God's image, physically and spiritually, there is an aspect of that dignity that cannot go away. You cannot take it from man. Man has value naturally. So whether a man is a criminal, where he's black or he's white, he's from Africa, he's from China, or whether or not he's born or unborn, human life is valuable and it has sanctity. And therefore, that cannot be taken away from a person at all because he's created in the image of God. So we talked about that last time and the practical implications of what that means to us as Christians. That means that 
We don't think of people any lesser than we are because we're saved or because we're born in a particular place in the world. That includes Arabs, that includes Africans, etc. So, Acts 17, the Apostle Paul says that from every nation of mankind, from one man, God made every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their periods and their boundaries of their dwelling place. They should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him and so forth. So all of mankind traces its way back to the one man that God created in Genesis. So all of us here are descendants from Adam and therefore we're created in the image of God. And so here's our statement of faith in whole. And it says, we believe that the Holy Scriptures are the inspiring and word of God, sufficient for all matters of life, faith, and doctrine, that these scriptures are contained in the books of the Old Testament and the New Testament as believed by the Protestant churches. That was four sermons that we preached on the doctrine of the scriptures. And then the second statement is that the Holy Scriptures reveal God as creator and sustainer of the universe existing in three distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal with all three persons, sharing the exact divine nature. This Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is of one substance, power and wisdom and goodness and exists in unity as one God alone. That was 11 sermons. And we are on the third part, which is that God in his infinite wisdom and goodness created man in his image to be in relationship with him and that man out of his own free will rebelled against God and fell into a state of sin. Not only Adam, but all of his progeny after him. Now we're in the first part, God created a man in his image to be in relationship with him. So that's what we're gonna be talking about today. We're on the second sermon on the doctrine of man. Let's go to Genesis. Take your Bibles. I know you all brought your Bibles. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go a little bit through the narrative of man's creation. Chapter 1 verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. And it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the, every living thing that moves on the earth. And behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, one thing that you need to realize when you look at your Bible as part of you know, the tradition, the Hebrew tradition of the Bible, is they went, when they wanted to emphasize something, when we want to emphasize something, we put it in bold letters, right? We, we capitalize it. When the Hebrews wanted to emphasize something, they will repeat it over and over again. So sometimes you, you listen to Jesus, you know, like if you read the accounts in the gospel, Jesus repeats the things over and over again, meaning 
this is important, this is important, this is important. So when you read through the narrative of Genesis, you're going to realize that the phrase man in God's image or in an image keeps happening over and over again over like two verses, right? Uh, verse 26, let us make man in our image. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So there, he, the, the emphasis is the man is a reflection of who God is. This being that God creates, right? It's different from all the other beings that he's created so far. And therefore, as such, um, he's given a different responsibilities. Because he's created in God's image and then God tells him, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So we have here, the first observation is man is created and immediately he's given responsibilities. He's given a job to do, right? All the other creatures God makes and they just roam around. But when it comes to man, God says to man, you know, be fruitful and multiply and then fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all of the other creatures. Basically, he's the list that he gives you is the description of the whole of creation. So man, you're created in God's image. You have to rule and subdue all of this creation that I made. Your job is to rule over all of this creation that I have made. So the first observation is a man has responsibilities. Now notice the responsibilities that God gives to man were given to him before the fall. Before men fell, he was given work, right? In fact, if you go to chapter 2, in chapter 2, verse 15 says, The Lord took the man and put him in a garden to work it and keep it. So before men fell, he was given a job. He was given work. So... We see that work is actually not a curse, but it's a gift that God gave to man. Now, some people believe that work is a curse because later on, as you read the narrative of Genesis, after man fell, God says, you know, now with sweat of your brow, you shall, you know, work the land, etc. No, work has been aggravated by sin, right? Giving birth is a blessing which was aggravated by sin, but the act itself was not a curse. It was a blessing from God. So work is a gift that God gives to man. The ability to produce and the ability to work is a gift that God gives to man. So the first observation and the first point is that there is a sanctity to work. Working, being productive is something sacred. It is part of what defines us as human beings. We were created to work, to yield fruit, to bring forth production. So if you know the text, it says that God gave man a set of responsibilities. God puts a man in the, in the garden and tells him to work it and to keep it, right, to maintain it. So we as human beings are meant to be productive, to labor, to work to yield fruit, and to create. So that means that there is no such thing as a secular job or secular anything, to be honest. All work that you do is a reflection of, who you, of God's image and who you are as a human being. It defines you as a person because before anything was made, well, after everything was made, but before the fall of man, 
God gives him a responsibility and says to him, I want you to work. I make this whole thing for you and I want you to work it and I want you to keep it. So there is a sanctity to work. So uh, all labor and productivity before God is a gift of his love that shapes you and defines you as a human being. And therefore you're reflecting God's image upon this world when you put forth work. Okay, so the, the first observation is work is a gift from, from God. Now it's important for us to understand that because um, after the fall, sin aggravated work and labor. It became hard, it became hard. But if you notice in the history of mankind, you see a period before Christ and after Christ where work and production begins to improve. And it's not a coincidence that when the gospel comes into this world and the grace of God begins to spread out throughout the world and the gospel is being preached, production is being increased to the point that today the, we are even reverting some of the curse because who sweats, you know, most people today can work without sweating or being too harsh, right? We've improved conditions upon this world. It's not a coincidence that this happened in the places where the gospel was preached and where the gospel took hold. And as the gospel takes hold in a society, you begin reverting those curses that God gave men. For example, women were told that they were gonna give birth with pain. Well, we have been able today to revert that, right? You, a lot of women today do not give birth the way your great-grandmothers were given birth. That's the whole, that was the whole, women a lot of times wouldn't even make it out of childbirth. So we begin to revert that in the places where the gospel is preached, in the places where God's word comes in and has an effect in their society, you will see a reversing of that, but you also see an increase in productivity because work is a gift that God gave to man. It's what we're supposed to be doing. As human beings, we're supposed to be workers. Now, the second observation is God did not give us any technology. He, gives, he puts the man in a, in a garden. God could have given him an iPhone. I'm pretty sure God could have thought that up. Or a computer. But he gives man the raw materials, right? He says, this is yours. You got the raw materials here. Work it and subdue it and keep it. So as human beings, we're called to be God's reflection by being productive. You have been given talents and skills which should be employed for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. And also, we are called, God tells man to subdue the earth, meaning to investigate it, to work it, to maintain it, to look for ways to improve it, right? We were not giving, say, a, a, a nice, dish. He gave man fruits. So investigate it, mix them up, put onions here, figure out a way to cook it, etc. So he gave man the bare minimum and encouraged him to work it, to improve it, and to bring forth ways of making it better. That is God's purpose for man. This is what we're supposed to be doing here on earth. Why is this a reflection? How is this a reflection of God's character? Well, look at the verse in chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, 
and all of the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished what? His work. His work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from what? From all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God is a worker. That's what God does. He works, and he worked. So the Bible says immediately after he tells the man to work, he says God rested from his work. God is a working God. He's not a God that is sitting, laying back, but he's a God who is working. In John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus, the story here is that Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees called him out saying, what are you doing working on the Sabbath? So Jesus responds to them and says this. He says, in verse 17, but Jesus answered him and says, my father is working until now and I am working too. So Jesus tells them, I'm a worker. That's why I'm working. And my father is also working. In fact, my father has been working until now. So God rested on the seventh day from the work that he did in creation. But then he went back to work and he has been working until now. And Jesus says, I'm working too. In fact, not only is work, God was working until now, but he is still working today. In Hebrews chapter 1, this is sort of like a description of Jesus. It says this, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus Christ is at work holding the universe by the word of his power. He is working still. The Holy Spirit was sent out, Jesus says, to do what? To convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, to bring people to salvation. So the Holy Spirit is at work today bringing people to Christ, regenerating the souls and keeping them saved through his work of sanctification, which is work. So God is a working God. And when he makes man in his image, he makes man to be a worker, which is why God in the Bible, it condemns laziness. Laziness is unchristian. In some churches, if you're a lazy person, you will be put in discipline. What are you doing? Right? Are you working? Because we're supposed to be a working people. So, as a reflection of who we are as human beings, we are a working creature. So, some people would say that after the fall, Adam lost the garden and work became a curse. And the dominion mandate, that is the, the, the mandate to uh, have dominion over the world, was lost because when Adam fell. Now, that's true in a sense. Right, like I said, work became more aggravated after the fall of Adam. And because of sin, man was kicked out of the garden. That's true in a sense, that's true. But like the quote that I read earlier, that reflection of God and image of God that we have was not lost, we still have it. And as human beings, we still carry with us that image of God that 
though aggravated by sin, is still there in us. Though lost by wickedness, it is still there in us. It's part of who we are. And so, in the scriptures, we're told that the first Adam lost what God gave him, but the second Adam, there's a second Adam, regained and won back all the things that the first Adam lost. Where the first Adam was unfaithful, the second Adam was faithful. The first Adam sinned, the second Adam never sinned. And therefore, as such, the second Adam has regained from us, for us, what the first Adam lost, because he was our representative. So, I'm going to read you some verses here. Man was told to have dominion over the earth, okay, to use his talents and skills and employ them for the glory of God. Um, God, like I said, gave him the raw materials. He created and commanded them to go and improve it, to maintain and investigate it, etc. So when man falls and he loses all of that, the Bible begins to give prophecies about another one that is going to have dominion, right? And so, in, for example, in the book of Psalms, chapter 72, it says this, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness, your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations, may he be like rain that falls on the mown grass. May, if you go down to the verse, it says, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So there's a prophecy in, in Psalm 72 saying that may he have dominion. It's prophesying about a king that is going to come in the future that is going to have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In Daniel chapter 7, there's another prophecy. It says, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days, that is, God, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So the dominion that Adam lost was regained by one who shall never lose it. The second Adam has dominion from sea to sea, and it's going to be an everlasting dominion, and he will never lose that dominion. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come, from the seven spirit who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins and by his blood made us a kingdom, priest to his God, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. 
So the prophecies in the Old Testament fulfilled not in the New Testament. In the book of Revelation, the very last book of your Bible, shows that Jesus Christ is the king that shall have dominion. His dominion shall be everlasting. It will be forever. It will never end. It was never going to be taken away. So he is now the king that has the dominion. Furthermore, notice that he has been given a dominion of all things, and he has made us a kingdom of priests to his God. That is, we are part of his dominion. So we, he has a kingdom and a dominion, and the kingdom needs subjects and people. Well, we have been made priests to his God. So we share the dominion of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter tells the Gentiles, Okay, this applies to everybody, but specifically he's addressing the Gentiles. He tells them, now you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. In other words, we have been made a possession of Christ and we are a royal that is that is royal, like in, in, a, in a royal line, like in a, like kings. Okay, and priests. To his God. So if you belong to Christ, you're part of his kingdom and you're part of his dominion. Okay? So we're a chosen people and a royal priesthood, a possession of Christ and his kingdom for what purpose? What's the point of all of this? Right? To sit around? No. Ephesians chapter 2. You guys remember Ephesians, I believe. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are saved. Notice, notice the interesting part. We are saved not by works, but we are saved for works. Okay? You are a worker... If you're saved, you will be saved for works. And the works that you have been saved for, God prepared beforehand for you. Okay? So, you have been, as a Christian, okay, you have regained the full image of God to work. But the works that you're going to do, God prepared beforehand for you to do them. So don't think for a second that anything that you employ in yourself in doing is somehow insignificant. This is what I'm telling you. There's no such thing as a secular job. Whatever it is you're doing, whatever skills that you have, whatever skills you're putting forth, because this is not only about church ministry, okay? This is all work is ministry. So whatever works you have with the talents that God has given you, he's prepared them beforehand for you to walk in them. So they're purposeful. They're for a reason. They have an end. And not only that, they reflect God's glory and the image or in his image. And it's the purpose of your life. 
This is what you're created for. Your purpose is to be a worker, to, be, to bring forth productivity. That's why um, notice that wherever communism is tried, it never works. You notice that? And it's always, they're always presented with a nice theory, and it always sounds great until they, put, they implement it, and they'll say, oh, it's going to work this time. We're going to tweak it, and it doesn't work. Because it's going against God's purpose for man. God's purpose for man is not only to work, but to yield productivity in a way that glorifies God. When you begin to bring obstacles to that, you're dehumanizing people because part of your humanity is to be a productive working person. And when we are saved and we are in Christ, we should be the most productive people in the world because Christians have regained that image of God, a God who is a worker, a God who's given you works ahead of time, a God who gives you the strength to work. The Bible says he gives you the strength to make wealth, the Bible says. So as believers and Christian people, we are a working, productive people. Okay? So, I want to say something before uh, I miss it. Um, just to show you how every work, every good and honest work is a reflection of God's character. For example, say if I bought another house and I rented this house to somebody, right? I, I moved to another house and I rent this house to somebody here. Well, even though I'm doing that for a profit, if you think about it, what am I doing for whoever lives here? You give them shelter, right? Well, who gives you shelter, right? Psalm, what is it, Psalm 91, right? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, etc., right? God gives us shelter. He's our refuge. If you are renting a house, say you're a landlord, you're providing refuge for somebody. You are reflecting God's image. God upholds the world by the word of His power. If you're a repairman and you're maintaining something, you're doing what? You're doing what God does. So all work that is honest and good work, raising children or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you are reflecting God's image. So there is a sanctity to it. There is something divine about work and being productive and productivity. So as believers, as, as a Christian, I want you to ask yourselves what talents and skills has God given you? Because all of you have, right? All of you have talents and skills that God has given you. How can I employ them to serve my fellow man and provide for my family. See, the, the, all of the commandments are summarized in one commandment. Remember that? Or two commandments. Love God, with love your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. How, how best do you love your neighbor as yourself? How, how do you serve your neighbor? You, you give him a service, right? So if you open a business that somehow provides for the needs of the people, somehow, even if it is for a profit, you're providing them with a service, right? We need milk, Ray drives a truck and brings the milk to the places where it's gonna be distributed. He's giving people a service. He's serving his fellow man. That is God's work. Every good and honest work is God's work. Don't see it as a secular thing. 
you know, you don't, you don't, you don't do church stuff here and you don't do secular stuff. There's no such thing as secular anything, okay? There's only one God who rules all things and everything that you do is part of God's work and ministry as a Christian, as simple as that. So all work that you do is not insignificant. If you're raising kids, if you're doing anything, it's not insignificant. The next best thing to starting a ministry is starting a business. You start a business, you're helping your fellow man. Being an entrepreneur is God's work. And, you know, I always find it interesting that when, when God, right, decides to become a human being and come down and dwell among us, he could have been anything. He could have been a king, could have been a philosopher, could have been a writer. But he becomes a carpenter. What, what is he doing? Right? He's building stuff for people. And he's selling stuff for people. I told my wife, do you think Jesus sold his stuff at cost? Right? <laughs> you think Jesus was so holy? I'm just, I'm not going to make, nah, he was making money. That's what, because that's, otherwise he would go out of business. What was Jesus doing? He was doing God's work. He was a carpenter. And then he tells his disciple, I'm going to go and I'm going to build houses still for you all. So I'm a carpenter now, but when I leave and I go up to my father, I'm not going to sit back and relax because I'm retired. I'm not retiring. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to continue on <laughs> as a contractor building houses. Right? Because he's a worker. And so are we. We're supposed to be working people. So, as Christians, ask yourself, how can you employ your skills to serve your fellow man? Pray to God and ask him to show you. Do not separate your life between God's stuff and secular stuff. There is no such thing. It is all His and belongs to Him. And He will bless you and provide for you. God's people are brave people. Take the risk. Go and do something. Right? That is productive. Whether it is uh, providing a service to people or in church. In whichever way. It's all boiled. It's all wrapped up in one same thing. We're supposed to be productive people. So it does not matter how old you are or how young you are. You can be 80 years old or apparently 25 now. Um, you are given by God skills and abilities and talents, right? That you can employ for his glory, all right? And to serve your fellow man. You have been given um, gifts and talents that can be employed by his power for the good of his kingdom. And remember, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. So before you were born, <laughs> he knew what you could do. And he places you in, in those places that you can employ those gifts the best to yield the best results. Because... The works that you were created in Christ Jesus for were there in God's mind beforehand. So there is a purpose to your skills. There is a purpose to your uh, whatever talents you have. There's a purpose to it. And it's an eternal purpose because it says from before. And when it comes to God before, it's a very long before. It's an eternal before. So... You, as a human being and as a Christian, you have the perfect, you are in the perfect place with the perfect skills and talents 
to bring forth the perfect result in God's time. But if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. Right? He gave Adam the raw materials and told him, you work it and you keep it. That was a command. You do it. You're going to do it. Right? So we have to do it. But by his grace and his power, we can, we can bring it about. So all of you, you have skills. Um, I always think of Brother Phillips, who's, who just quit his job and went crazy and started his own business. He's doing God's work. <laughs> He's doing God's work. He's not doing secular work. He's doing God's work. And so is anybody who, when we go out there, keep that in mind. There's a sanctity to work. This is why the European Western civilization came ahead. Why? Because it was Christian. It's because the Bible worked its way into their civilization and then that yielded what? Production and, 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 and services and all these things that are now spreading around the rest of the world. You don't get that from a pagan society. Pagans don't do that. But Christians do. We have been prepared and equipped by, by God to do not only his ministerial work, but also the work outside into the world to be a testimony for him and a reflection of who he is as God. So be productive people. Pray and ask God to show you how can we put forth our talents in a way that can serve others and even make a profit. But we shouldn't be non-productive people. That's unchristian. There was a second observation, but I'm going to leave that for the next sermon. But the first observation is work is a divine gift from God given to Adam and is a, what defines humanity. Work and productivity is who defines us. It's one of our definitions, right, as human beings. And therefore, we as Christians especially should be a productive, working people. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your scriptures. We thank you. You've given us power and strength to wake up every day and go out, Lord, and be productive people. I pray that you may speak to us. I pray that you may open our eyes, that we may better employ our skills and our talents and our gifts that you've given us both for the church and also for the world, Lord, and that we may be a reflection of who you are and a testimony to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.